Okay, so let us begin. Recording in progress. <coughs> uh, this class is Lila Nishmas Dov Ber Ben Menachem Mendel. Allah Shalom. Um, the the topic for this week is in relation to the application of Ein Muktam Mocha according to the Ibn Ezra. Before we get to the Ibn Ezra, some background. We discussed both last year when we were doing the Ramban as well as the year before when we were doing the Rashbam, the different applications of Ein Muktam Ochebetera. What does that mean? It means, is the Torah written in chronological order as a matter of course? I think the answer to that question would be, according to everyone, Yes, the Torah is generally written as a matter of course in order of chrono- chronology, in chronological order. The question is, how much of a bar does one need to set in order to change the chronology? The Ramban repeatedly, throughout his commentary on Chumash, goes after the Ibn Ezra, for, in his mind, having a very low bar to change the chronological order of the Chumash. That is, according to the Ramban, he feels that the Ibn Ezra is very, very willing to, as it would be, willy-nilly to change the order of the chronology in the Chumash. And for the Ramban, that's a no-no, that's not okay. And he takes the Ibn Ezra to task repeatedly on this. Now, obviously, to the Ibn Ezra, the criticism of the Ramban is unfair. He feels strongly that one can say, Ein In Chumash, he quotes it generally from himself as a concept, but in Shemais, he quotes it, and it's actually one of the few times I mentioned before, if you recall, in our introductory shir to the Ibn Ezra, where I mentioned that he quotes numerous commentaries with the most obvious missing commentary being the one from Rashi. Rashi never quotes in his introduction, although he does quote him a few times, in his commentary on Chumash, also, of course, as I mentioned in the introduction, does not quote the Rashbam, which he seems to have been aware of because he is seemingly responding pretty directly to a number of comments on the Rashbam. The most telling example is, of course, the Rashbam in the beginning of Rashis, to which he dedicated a little monograph, which <coughs> he called the Geras Hashams. So again, according to the Ibn Ezra, one is allowed to say more often than the way the Ramban would say it. 
Just a bit of background. For those who don't recall, the Gemara Psachim told us that one is allowed to say Ein Mukdam Torah in relation to different parshiyos. Remember, a parsha is not the way we refer to it in terms of the parshiyos and the uh, the daily week, but a true parsha, parsha pesucha or parsha stuma. That is in the formatting of the text of the Sefer Torah, one has paragraphs. Those paragraphs are called parshiyos. They're either parshas pesuchos or stumais. So the Gemara explained that Ein Mugdam Ocher is allowed to be said in relation to different parashiyas. But within a parasha, one must accept that that is written in chronological order. Now you might ask, well, normally when I read a book, maybe a big exception being a book like Lahavda, like Ulysses, which is deliberately written out of order in terms of chronology in order to make the reader wonder and think why would the Torah allow to itself to be written out of the chronological historical order? Well, the answer obviously must be that there are reasons and points that the Torah is trying to make clear by putting stories, by putting situations outside of their chronological order. So again, according to the Ramban, the Torah is generally trying to stick to a chronological order unless it's absolutely forced to change. That is a very high bar. And as we saw, Rashi perhaps is sort of the Goldilocks approach. He's maybe a little bit more willing to change the chronology than than the Ramban, but also not as willing to change it as the Ibn Ezra. But everybody agrees as a baseline matter that what the Gemara says, that you can't change chronology within a parasha, that's of course. The question is, between different parashas, is one able to say, Ein muktum um That is the background for today's class. So we open up to talk a little bit about the Ibn Ezra's approach to Ein muktum We will not have a chance to see all the Ibn Ezra's throughout Chumash tonight, but we do have a few Ibn Ezra's in Bereshis, two to be precise, where he discusses a Muktam Ucha although he also discusses the application of a Muktam Ucha in Bereshis once in Shemai, so we'll do that as well. Says the Ibn Ezra, and the Ibn Ezra that we're going to be focusing on today is the beginning of the parish and also the end of last week's Sadra, the end of Nayach. The Ibn Ezra feels strongly that the end of Nayach, the end of Parshas Nayach, takes place after the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha. So again, according to the Ibn Ezra, the end of Parshas Nayach, that tells you that Tarach had three children, Avram, Nachar, and Haran, and they got married, and Terach went with them from Orkazdim to the land of Charon, and they stayed in Charon, and thereafter they and thereafter they um, journeyed, they they stayed there and, and Terach died. At the end at the end of the uh, at the end of the Sedra it says that Tarach dies, he's 105 years old. 
I'm sorry, 205 years old. And that is the way the story, the end of Parshas Noach concludes. And we open up with Parshas Lech Lecha. The Hashem tells Avram to go to the land that he will show him, leave his father's house, leave his land, leave his birthplace, and all of that. Says the Ibn Ezra, these two stories don't work together in chronological order. They don't make sense. Why? Because you just said, at the end of Parshas Noach, that Terach took Avram and Nachar and Sarai, he took, he, took, he took his children, and they went from Orkazdim to Eretz Canaan, and they arrived in Charon, and they stayed there, and that's where Terach died. Now, you might ask, why did they go to Charon? The simple answer for the Ibn Ezra would be, that's the direction of travel. In other words, if you looked at a map, you would see that Ur Kazdim is in the south of what is today known as Iraq, and Israel is to the west. But if you would look at a map, the straightest way to go is not to go to Haran. The straightest way to go would be to go directly west from Ur Kazdim to get to the land of Israel, not to go north and then to go west. But the reason that Avram would have gone north before heading west is simply to follow along the Fertile Crescent, to follow along the Euphrates River and the Tigris Rivers, because that's habitable. That's where there's food aplenty. That's where there's ability for the people to eat their animals to graze and not to die traveling through the Arabian Desert. If you went through the most direct direction to the land of Israel from or Kazdim, that would make you travel through the Arabian Peninsula. And that's not simple. That's not easy to do. So therefore, you have to go in those days out of the way in order to be able to get there. It's like the little kid's joke in the in the famous Rebleib Sasover story where the Rebleib Sasover was looking to get to a town, and he meets a little kid, and he says to the little kid, tell me the path to get to the town. And the kid says to Rebbeim Sasev, or one of the big Hasidic rabbis, he says to him, well, there are two ways. One way is the long but short way, and the other is the short but long way. So he said, what does it mean? So he says, well, the long but short way it's a very meandering path. It takes you a long time to get there, but you can get there. The short but long way is a direct path. You can go straight to the town. The problem is you hit like a big ravine, and the only way you're going to be able to get there is by taking a very big risk to your life. So it's short but long. So in the sense, the direction of travel from Or Kazdan to the land of Israel, bypassing the out-of-the-way Haran would seem very smart to do in a in our days when you have cars and highways. But in those days, you do not. You simply have to take the much longer route in order to be able to get to the land of Israel 
alive. So, for the Ibn Ezra, the end of Parshas Noach, when you're looking at the end of Parshas Noach and comparing it to the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, you end up re- with a repeat of a story that seems to have already happened. How can it be that we're leaving to go to the land of Eretz Canaan? I know I go to Charon because that's the direction of travel. But how can it be that then I'm opening up the new Sandra and saying, Hashem says to Avram, how does it open up the, the story this way? The story already took place. It already started. So therefore for the Ibn Ezra, one needs to understand these stories as not being written in chronological order. But the first thing I think that struck the Ibn Ezra here, and this is something that you don't often think about because the Torah doesn't call attention to it, but the Ibn Ezra calls attention to it a couple of times in his commentary. And this requires just a teeny bit of math, but literally the easiest type of addition, so even I can manage it. The Ibn Ezra says that you should note that when it says that Terach died in Haran, that Terach didn't die in Haran at the beginning, at the end of Parshas Nech, the beginning of Avram's journey to Eretz Canaan. Why? Because you just do the simple math. How old was Terach when he died? He was 205. How old was he when Avram was born? The Torah says he was 70 years old when Avram was born. That means that if Avram started his journey when he was 75 years old, right? When he, if he was 75 years old, that means that Terach was now 145 years old, right? Because if he was 70 years older, and Avram is now starting on his journey at 75. So, Terach, who was 70, and now 75 years later, is 145. And he's living until 205. That means he's living for another 60 years. So when Avram says goodbye to Terach, Terach is still going to be alive for a very long time. In fact, Yitzchak is going to be born. And Terach is still going to be alive. Yitzchak is born and Avram is 100 years old. That means that Terach is how old? 170. That means how old is in fact Terach when Yitzchak is uh, 35 years old? Then he's 205. That is, two years before the Akedah. Five years before Yitzchak is actually married. That's when Terach passes away. So Terach lives for a very, very long time. After Yitzchak was born. Again, we know similar things where the Torah does this in relation to Avram's death, in relation to Yitzchak's death, that they lived for a longer period of time than is necessarily let on. Says the Ibn Ezra over here, and I would assume he would say the same things over there, that it's a muktam because of the fact that the Torah is writing the story in a way that it wants you to see sort of the book end of Avram's life with Terach as being closed. Whether or not Avram kept up communications with Terach, I don't know. 
But it begs the question, right? Because of the fact that we imagine that when Avram is sending Yitzchak, uh, you know, sending Eliezer, the servant, to go find the Shidduch for Yitzchak back to back to Charon, back to the Ir Nachar, back to Padan Aram, it sounds to us that he has no connections left with the place, that he's long been gone, nobody remembers him. But remember, his father literally died four or five years before. Because the Pasuk tells us that when Yitzchak got married, Vayhi, Yitzchak ben Arboim Shona bekachta Yisrifka, he was 40 years old. And we've just proven that Yitzchak had to have been at the time of the death of Terach, 35. So, there's no way that they would have forgotten about Avram when Terach is still alive. So it's only a few years after. So I think number one for the Ibn Ezra, and again, he would say the same with regards to the deaths of the Avis that the Torah mentions a lot earlier than they actually passed away, is because that's the bookend from what the Torah wants you to wait to look at the story, the Torah is mentioning the death then, that the impact that they're going to have for the next 60 years is nil. That is, Avram no longer has an impact on the life of Yitzchak, etc., after the Torah says that he passed away, even though he lived longer, and the same with Yitzchak. And the same is true with Terach. Terach passes away 60-odd um, years before we have um, uh, sort of any, before we have Avram, he lives for another 60 years after Avram makes his way to the land of Canaan, but it doesn't have any impact on Avram's life. Or it doesn't have, there may be the better way to say it, it doesn't have any impact to us, the reader, and therefore the Torah doesn't have to mention it at all. So I think this for the Ibn Ezra is a key. If the Torah is writing things not in chronological order, because it had a reason to, it has some other reason, some other purpose for it, so then we can use that as a principle. A Muktam al is a principle that the Torah is using repeatedly. The Ibn Ezra is, as it were, just adopting what he already sees. So again, I think the first point to mention in relation to why the Ibn Ezra feels that the end of Nach actually took place after the beginning of Lech Lecha is because of the fact that the Torah already is telling you that the death of Terach took place significantly before it actually did. But there's definitely a more fundamental reason underlying why the Ibn Ezra uses Ein Muktam Ocher over here. As I said, the Ramban holds that the Ibn Ezra's bar is far too low to use Ein Muktam Ocher, but there is still a bar. There is still a bar that the Ibn Ezra has to pass. And I believe that what we just mentioned about Terach dying much earlier Terach's death being mentioned much earlier than it actually happened is not the fundamental reason driving the Ibn Ezra. It is a reason. It is a reason that the Ibn Ezra mentions a few times. But I don't believe it's the fundamental reason. I think the more fundamental reason gets at the question of 
Who was Avram? Where was he from? For the Ibn Ezra, Avram was a Kazdi. Avram was born in the land of Ur Kazdim. If you look at the end of Parshas Noach, there the Torah tells us that Haran died there the Torah indicates that Haran, who dies without going on the journey with Terach and Avram and Nach, etc., he died in the land of his birthplace, which was Orkazdim. So for the Ibn Ezra, it seems that Avram was from Orkazdim as well. However, the Ibn Ezra has a problem. If Avram is from Orkazdim, then the beginning of this Sedra, which says, that he should leave from the land of his birthplace, etc. How could that make any sense? Because the Torah here is talking in Parsh- in, in Charan. In Parshish Lech Lecha, Avram is leaving from Charan. So how could it be that that is how could this be? If he's from Orkazim, then it can't be. So for the Ibn Ezra, I believe this is a driver, a very major driver, to say that Lechacha took place before the end of Parshish Nayach. Because if Lechacha takes place before the end of Parshish Nayach, then when the Torah is saying Lechacha Me'artzacha Me'latacha Me'besavicha, that is talking about leaving the land of Orkazdim. That is talking about leaving the land that we know Haron is from, and presumably Avram was from as well. And it makes sense to say that, because then it says, to the land that I will show you, which sounds like he didn't necessarily know which land 100% he was going to. Whereas at the end of Parshish Noach, the Torah says that Terach took Avram and Sarah, etc., and they left or Kazdim Lalaches Artsar Kanan. They were going to Artsar Kanan. They got to Haran and they stayed there. What do you mean? They were going to Eretz Kanan. How do they know they were going to Eretz Kanan? Why were they going to Eretz Kanan? Hashem said, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the land. They didn't know where they were going. For the Ibn Ezra, by moving the beginning of Parshas Lechlecha before the end of Parshas Noach, and effectively, it's a recapitulation of that story. It's a reiteration of the story from a different vantage point, but it takes place prior to the end of Noach. So then Avram is still in Orkazdim, and Hashem is telling him to go to go to to go to the land that I'm going to tell you about, which that land later on he tells him is going to the land of Canaan. So then he goes on a journey with Terach, and they're going on the journey to Eretz Canaan. They end up stopping in Charan because again that's the way they have to go geographically. That's a much safer way to go. That is the long but short route, right from the Lev Sasavar story. That's how they go, and and Charan is a nice place. So Terach decides to stay there. And that's where he lives out. That's where he lives out his next 60 years. But Avram continues on going. This would not be 
an odd turn of events. If you look at the end of Parshas Taladais, you'll see that the story there discusses that Yaakov left Yitzchak to go to Padan Aram, to go run away from Esav, because Esav was a Mesnachim Gecha. So he had to run away. And then you open up Parshas Vayetzeh, and Parshas Vayetzeh says, Vayetzeh Yaakov Vereshava Vayelcharana. What did Vayetzeh Yaakov Vereshava Vayelcharana? He already left. He left already at the end of Parshas Taldais. So for the Ibn Ezra, this is a common theme. We see it in Chumash. We're saying, What does it mean? It doesn't mean that we're just playing willy-nilly with the Torah's chronology. What it means is we're saying that certain times the Torah reiterates or recapitulates or repeats certain events from a different vantage point and from a different timeline. So the same way that is repeating what already happened in the end of Parshish told us, the same over here. It's a repeat of what we already learned that happened in the end of Parshish Nech from a different vantage point, and it's taking place again at the at earlier than the events of they arrived at Haran. It's a repeating of that story. This time, getting to understand how Avram left. Yes, he left with Tarach. He left the uh, with a wider family than just Sarah, but that leaving didn't end up in the land of Canaan with all of them. Why? Because they stopped off they stopped off in 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 Haran and that's where Tarach decided to 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 call it quits. But Avram and Sarah which the Ibn Ezra says the servants, they continued on going. So for the Ibn Ezra, what the Torah is doing is starting out the story of Abraham's journey, the starting out of Avram's life story that we're going to learn about, we're starting in a sense clean, fresh, without the distractions of listening about Tarach and Tarach being in in Choron and stopping the journey and dying at two hundred and five. We're not having that in the re in the in the restating of the story in the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha. We have in a sense clean. So this is. I think for the Ibn Ezra, the primary driver, why he says that this ain't muktum why he says that the beginning of Parshish Lechlecha obviously had to take place prior to the end of Parshish Nech. And the way we're saying it now, which I think the Ibn Ezra would agree with, what we're doing is recapitulating the story, restating the story. As a sort of a once upon a time, now we have the story the way the Torah wants us to see it from the vantage point of Avram Avinu's journey. And we got there some additional historical details and tidbits at the end of Parshish Nayach, where we learned that, in fact, he actually started out on the journey with, with Tarach and then the wider family. And they ended up going to Haran, and that's where, that's where certain family members decided to stay. But not Avram, not Sarah. They kept on going. If this be true, as I said, it's very similar to the end of Parshas Tull, the beginning of Parshas Vayetze, where you see something very similar going on as well.
So I think this is the primary reason for the Ibn Ezra saying what he says. However, to be clear, the Ibn Ezra has a problem. The problem of the Ibn Ezra, you have to go to Parshas Chayesara. In Parshas Chayesara, when Avram is giving the command to the servant that he should go find a wife for Yitzchak, he says to him, You should go to my land, go to my birthplace. Where is he supposed to go, the servant? If, when we're saying Artsi and Marlanati is or Kazdam, which is the way that Ibn Ezra understands it, then is that where Avram is sending him? Is Avram sending him back to or Kazdam to go get a wife for Yitzchak? That's certainly not where he goes. He goes to Haran. Now, we understand that it's not a proof that if he goes to Haran, that he wasn't going to go to or Kazdan. How do I know? Because we just explained that the way you get from Or Kazdan to Eretz Canaan is by going via Kharn. That's the route. You have to go out of the way. You got to go north and then go west. You can't go directly west. So it's not a proof per se that if the servant went directly to Kharn, that that's what Eretzim Malatati means. But do we have any indication that there was a possibility? That Avram was really telling the servant. Avram was really saying, like, yeah, yeah, go go back to Orkazan to go find a, uh, a child, uh, to go find a wife for my child. That, that, how you talking? Is this a possibility? For the Ibn Ezra, yes, it is. The Ibn Ezra is aware of this problem. He's aware of the challenge. He's aware of the fact that you might ask on his approach by saying, what are you talking about? But the servant goes to Kharan. So for the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra has to say that the reality is that that was an option as well. In other words, from the Ibn Ezra's approach, the Ibn Ezra holds that in fact, Avram was telling the servant that in fact he could go to his land and to his birthplace, and those are two different things. For the Ibn Ezra, Marlanity is in fact Orkazdim. That is where he was born. And that is in fact one of the options that the servant could have found a wife for Yitzchak. It could have been an Orkazdim. The Ibn Ezra, however, engages in a little bit of a, of a, of a difficult understanding of that Pasuk. Because he divides it. Kiel Artsi Vel for the Ibn Ezra is two different things. Artsi is Kharan and Moilati is Orkazdim. That is, for the Ibn Ezra, Avram is no longer a part of Orkazdim. He left. His father, his brother, they all live in Kharan. So that now becomes his land. Kiel Artsi is now Kharan. It's not Orkazdim. Mylanity, however, can't change. You can't change your birthplace. Even if you renounce your citizenship, you can't change where you were born. So that's still Orkazdim. 
So for the Ibn Ezra, in fact, the servant could have gone to either place. He could have either gone to Charon or to Orkazdan. And the truth is, the only way he was getting to Orkazdan was going via Charon. And we don't know. You can't prove anything from the absence of, of something. So the fact is, if he hadn't found a wife for Yitzchak in Charon, maybe, in fact, he would have considered going to Orkazdan. We don't know from the text because obviously it didn't work out that way. But that is what the Ibn Ezra says Avram was commanding the servant to do. Obviously, for the Ramban, this entirety is an anathema. The entirety of this Ibn Ezra is, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work for the Ramban. That he would go back to the lands of Cham, when he wouldn't marry anybody. And it was very strict that you can't marry anybody from Canaan, but otherwise you'd be happy to go marry people from Orkazdim. They might say, look, the Ibn Ezra could say, look, Canaan is cursed, but it doesn't mean that all the children of Cham are cursed. Why do you have to go that far? You don't have to say that. But for the Ramban, it doesn't work. This Ibn Ezra does not work for the Ramban. Remember, the Ibn Ezra says very clearly that Avram was born in Orkazdim just like Haran. And when the Torah says in this week's Sedra, by the Brisbane Abbasarim, that Hashem says to Avram, that Ani Hashem Asher What does it mean, Orkazim? I took you out of Orkazim. Because that's where Avram came from. That's where he left from. He left from Orkazim. For the Ramban, none of that works. Because according to the Ramban, it's impossible to conjure up that Avram would have said to the servant, to Eliezer, to go marry a wife for Yitzchak from, from a place that's from the family of Cham. Impossible. But it's more than that. You see, I think there's a, another fundamental principle underlying the Machlekes about how much to use a Mugdum Ochem And we see this come up a number of times. The Ramban goes after the Ibn Ezra at the end of Beresh's. For something that happened in Shemais. The Ibn Ezra feels strongly that big Nisim, if they happen not as a simply a matter of Drash, but if they happen historically as a matter of Pshat, that the Torah should mention it. The Torah doesn't mention or Kazdan as being a place that Avram was saved from a burning oven that he was thrown into by Nimrod. For the Ibn Ezra, when the Pasuk says, it's because that's where he came from, but not for the Ramban. For the Ramban, that's where he came from, not nationally, that's where he came from in terms of he was sort of born out of the embers of the oven that he was thrown into by, by Nimrod. That's what we're talking about, Orkazd, not because he was born there physically, but his he was reborn, as it were, in Orkazdan. That's where he survived the trial of the Kivshon Aish. That's what the Torah is referencing Orkazdan.
So for the Ramban, it's fundamentally different approach to the chronology here. For the Ramban, the Torah is exactly in order. In fact, Avram does come from Haran. Why they were in Orkazdim, why they had to travel back to Haran, is simply because they were on a business trip. They travel. People always travel. But they're from Haran. That's where they lived. And that's why when we open up Parshas Lech Lecha, the Torah is not repeating what happened in last week's Sajra from a different vantage point. The Torah is telling you something new. The Torah is telling you that Hashem is telling Avram, Literally, this is your Artsacha. This is your Meladatacha. This is your base of Yechir. You're talking about from Khan. Now, you still have the problem of how in the end of last week's Sajra did it say the words, if they didn't know where they were going. Well, the Ramban tries to deal with that. But what it does for him, by saying that Orkazim is a fundamental place in Avram's life, not because he came from there, but because he survived the Kivshan Aish, that explains how you can use the text in the correct order. It also explains what it means when he said to the servant to go El Arzi that there was never any possibility of the servant going to Orkazdim. He was only ever going to go to Khan, because that's in fact where they come from. So that is the fundamental machlekas between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra in relation in relation to the opening of this week's Sedra and how it relates to the end of last week's Sedra. But as I said, I believe that there's three different elements. <coughs> the first is the fact that Terach survives till 205, which means that he lived for 60 years after Avram left, at the age of 75, from Choron to Eretz Canaan. And since the Torah is writing that early, that means that the stories could be written out of order. But there's a second more fundamental principle here, which is that the Torah sometimes recapitulates or restates events that already took place in a different viewpoint taking out certain details, adding in certain details, and, and, and sort of dressing in a different way to show you some a different perspective, which we see here, we also see in the end of Pasha's Toldes. And it helps to explain why the Torah is referencing Orkazdim as being the birthplace of Haran, and why Hashem took Avram out of Orkazdim, not out of Haran. It explains these issues. But I, as I say, and I alluded to, there's a third element here, and that is the element of Nisim. The Ibn Ezra feels if a nace happened as a matter of Pshat, the Torah should mention it. And if a Torah doesn't mention it, then as a matter of Pshat, I'm not going to include it. This came up for the Ibn Ezra in a big way in relation to the birth of Meish Rabbeinu. That if your chavet was nolde de ben achemis, she would be considerably older than Sarah. And next week, Sedra, Sarah is going to give birth to Yitzchak, and she's going to be 90 years old. And the end of this week, Sedra, Avram is laughing when he says, Halavem me'ashana yivalivim Sarah vastishim shana teleid. 
If your Chev is 120 years old, she's significantly older. It's even a bigger miracle. The Torah should have written it. The fact that the Torah doesn't write it for the Ibn Ezra is telling you that it wasn't the nest that took place as a matter of pshat. The Ramban fundamentally disagrees, and the Ramban says that, in fact, the Torah is not you know, a Guinness World Book of Records, not one of these museums of all the weird and abnormal things that happen. The Torah doesn't have to say every nest that it takes place. The Torah has specific reasons why it records certain events. But again, for the Ibn Ezra, since that's his driving, a driving factor and motivation, so the Ibn Ezra can't consider that Orkazim is being written as a specific place because of the Kivshana Eish story. Because the Kivshana Eish story didn't happen as a matter of Pashup Shat. Because as a matter of Pashup Shat, if that's what happened, the Torah should have written it. If the Torah didn't write it, that means the Medrash is alluding to something that occurred. Maybe there was some big Socratic debate between Nimrod and Avram, and Avram survived that by, you know, beating Nimrod, and maybe he had to flee as a result of that. Maybe all that could be true as a matter of shot. But to say that he survived a a fire, which would be against the laws of nature, that would be an absolute nace, which the Torah would be required to mention. The Torah doesn't mention it, and I'm not going to say it as a matter of shot. And therefore, when the Torah in this week says, I'm not going to say that it's referencing or Orkazdim because of some miraculous event. I'm going to say that the reason it's referencing or Orkazdim is because that's where Avram comes from. So this, I think, helps elucidate and enumerate the various different fundamental reasons or principles underlying the bar for when the Ibn Ezra is willing to use a Muktam Muhammad Yes, he certainly says a Muktam Muhammad And he says it both, as I say, from himself and also quoting Ramashakayan. But he's not going to use it every single opportunity that he has. For example, in this week's Sadra, there's a Rashbam. The Rashbam is not here in Chumash, uh, in Bereshus. You can find the Rashbam in Shemais, and you can also find the Rashbam quoted in Taisvis, in the beginning of Sechta Brachas. You can also find the Dasikanim in the end of Dvarim. Also a Rush. In Shabbos, you can find that there are many opinions that say that Lech Lecha is not in the correct place, chronologically. Not like we were just discussing because of the Ibn Ezra, that Lech Lecha took place before the end of Parshish Neach, but no, something fundamentally different. For the Rashbam and others that follow him, Lech Lecha actually takes place when Avram is 75, and that is after the Parsha of the Brisbane Abbasarim. The Parsha of the Brisbane Abbasarim took place before the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha. For those that follow in this opinion, and they also use this notion of Ein Muktum Ocha B'Tairah, Parshas Lech Lecha is taking place after the Parshas of the Bishbenim Sarim. The motivating factor for these Rishonim is a Gemara. 
the Gemara in Shabbos talks about that length of the city of Sdaim, how long it lasted, and when it was overturned, and how many years they lived in peace. And if you do the math, it doesn't work to say that Avram was at the Brisbane of Asarim at the age of, of after 75. It can't work. Because if you connect that story, by the story of the kings, which just happened right before, the story of the four kings and the five kings, which the Torah connects right after. The Torah says, After the Misa of the four kings and the five kings, it's connecting this this Misa to the story of the Bishman of Sarah. It doesn't work to say, in the opinion of these Rishayim, that Lechlecha taking place when Avram is 75 is not enough time in the calendar. So they have to backdate the Brisbane of Sarum to before Lechlecha. And I'm not interested at the moment to go into all the details of what these opinions say. I'm just saying that for the Ibn Ezra, it's a non-starter. The fact that there's a Gemara that says this is the length of how Sudaim was, is okay, it's very nice. But it's not in the Chumash. It's not there as a matter of Pshat. So for the Ibn Ezra, he will not change the chronology if there's some nace or some thing that we find in the Gemara that says that something happened or not, but it's not written in the Torah as a matter of shot at all, that, for the Ibn Ezra, is not a sufficient enough reason to start playing around with the chronology, even though the Balayatayshvists do, even though the Rosh does, even though the Dasakanim do. It's not enough for the Ibn Ezra. So, again, hopefully that helps to further elaborate and elucidate this third principle, which is the Ibn Ezra's bar is low, certainly for the Ramban, but it's not that there's no bar. He's simply not going to take every option to say, He's going to be certainly somewhat selective as to when he utilizes it. I know that we're running a little bit short on time, so I want to give another example, two, maybe two more examples one from Shmeis, where he references back to Bereshus, and also at the end of Bereshus, in, in Parshas Bereshus. So the two examples, and as I said already before, in the introductory class, the Ibn Ezra really only had a chance to review the Ibn Ezra's introduction. We didn't have a chance to really go through Parshas Bereshus. So here are two examples from Parshas Bereshus. One, as I said, we find in Parshas, we find in Shmeis, in, in, in Parshas Shmeis, actually, and the other one we find actually in the end of Pashas Bereshus. Let's do the one from Shmeis first. Everyone may be familiar with Rabbi Soloveitchik's book called Lonely Man of Faith. In Lonely Man of Faith, he discusses two personalities, Adam 1 and Adam 2. What does it mean, Adam 1 and Adam 2? There's two different stories of creation. There's the creation which is the normal understanding of the creation story, the six days of creation, culminating the creation of man, and then we have seventh day, we have a Shabbos. That is what he refers to as Adam 1, the first story of creation. But we have a second story of creation. The second story of creation is, Right, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a garden, he planted a garden, 
and he put man there. <coughs> we have a, a story of the creation of woman. Hakadosh Baruch Hu brought all the animals to to to, to Adam to see what he's going to call them. And and in the beginning, in the beginning of, of the what they call the first creation story, created man and woman. So of course we know what Chazal said that they were they were, as it were, two two entities with one sort of body, a front and a back, whatever that means. But the simple understanding for the Ibn Ezra, as he as he indicates in the beginning of Shemais, is that this is just another look, or another recapitulation of the same story. It's in fact quite sophisticated, because he's, as he points out, when the Pasuk there, in the, in the towards the end of Shemais, says, so the Ibn Ezra says, what do you mean? Hashem already told Moshe Rabbeinu to go. What does he mean? He's telling him now to go down to Mitzrayim. He already told him. We just spent a whole, we just spent a whole back and forth between Moshe Rabbeinu and God by him going down to Mitzrayim. So what do you mean? Now Hashem's telling him to go down to Mitzrayim. You could read that story as simply saying, well, now there's a new detail being provided. Now the people who wanted to kill him are gone. Well, maybe we already knew that. Maybe we already knew that they died, that the king had died. Maybe Moshe didn't know. But for the Ibn Ezra, it already happened. In other words, the way I'm phrasing it is, we're getting a recapitulation. We're getting a repeat of what happened from a different vantage point. And the Ibn Ezra there says, You know what we're talking about? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about go back to beginning Bereshis. And there, it sounds like we're getting a repeat of the story that Hashem already created, all the vegetation and the grass and all of that. And I would assume he would say the same about the man. That is, this already happened. Yes, it already happened. But now we're getting a new look as to how it took place. That is, HaKadosh Baruch on the sixth day created man. But we didn't get a full picture, a full viewpoint of how that took place. For that, we need the Adam 2 story. So that's one example from Pajas Bracious, where you see, again, the Ibn Ezra using a Mukta Muhammad Terah. But there's one more example. And this is at the end of the Sedra, the end of Bracious. The Ibn Ezra says, if this is a, a classic Ibn Ezra, one has to know you know, there's certain takeaway in the Rashbam, certain takeaway Ramban, certain takeaway Rashis. There's certain takeaway Ibn Ezra's, ones that you have to remember. One of them, as we mentioned tonight, is that Tarek lived for 205 years. That means that he was alive for a long time after Avram had already had children who were considerably old. But here's another. At the end of Bereshis, the, the parasha, the Torah says, that a person's life is going to be 120 years. Why? Because of all the bad stuff that they were doing. So the Ibn Ezra says, a lot of people like to say that means 
that man is now going to live for 120 years. That's his max. That's the most his man is going to live from now on. But Ibn Ezra points out, how can that be justified as a matter of pshat? Just keep on reading. Look at Pasha's Nach. Look how long the people lived for. They lived for a very long time. A lot longer than 120 years. And we just said, Tarach lived for 205 years. Avram lived 175. Yitzchak was 180. Even Yaakov Avinu was significantly longer than 120. It was another 27 years. So, how could you get this notion that Vahayu Yamav may have asked Shana is a limitation on the years of man? Many, many generations of people lived significantly longer than 120 after the Torah said it. That's the Ibn Ezra's kasha on those that want to say, that's somehow a limitation on the order of the life of man. Says the Ibn Ezra, you know what I think it means? I think means that God is, as it were, giving them 120 years to repent. Like when Yenna came to Nineveh, and they said, he had 40 days for Nineveh to repent. Says the Ibn Ezra. means that you have 120 years with which to repent. That's what the Torah was trying to say. And you're going to ask, says the Ibn Ezra, but how could it be? Just do the math. Look at the Pasuk before. It says that Noach was 500 years old when he had the three children, Shem, Cham, and Yefes. And what happens, we know when a flood starts, is in the 600 year of Nayak's life. That's not giving you 120 years to repent. That only gave you 100 years. So how could my Peshat be correct? If I'm telling you that the Torah means when it says, well, Yom Abbev, Esam, Shana, means that they're going to have 120 years of to repent. That's even as it's very simple. Ein Mokdom When the Torah says, well, Yom Abbev, Esam, Shana, it took place before Nayak. Had any children when Nech was 480 years old? When Nech was 480 years old, that's when that passing happened. And of course, it was 120 years from then with which to repent. The fact that the Torah mentions that Nech already had children, he was 500 years old, because so what? The Torah is recapitulating a specific event or repeating an event for its purposes. I'd like to include one point, which is the Ibn Ezra wants to bring a raya at the end of Parshish Noach to his point that I'm not 100% comfortable with his raya. So I'll conclude with this as a question on the Ibn Ezra's approach. As we've said, there are parameters and guidelines in Chazal for when you can use a Mukta Mukhabatari. You can't use it in the same parsha, you can only use it in different parshas. Okay. But how high is the bar that one is to set for it? The Ibn Ezra brings Azariah to himself, the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar. The beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, we learn that the text is discussing the second month, the second month of the year, right? Which is the month of ER. 
However, if you turn a few sedras later, in the middle of Paris Balaischa, we discuss the Pesach that they brought in the second year from when they left Mitzrayim. We learned there the whole story of Pesach Sheni, because there were people with Tameh, they wanted to have a chance to bring a Pesach. But when did that take place? That take, took place in the first month of the second year. Whereas the beginning of Bamidbar takes place in the second month of the second year. So therefore, Sariah says the Ibn Ezra, that today, Mukta Mokhabatera. To me, there's no Raya at all. Obviously, it's a Mukta Mokhabatera when the Torah says the date. If the Torah is openly giving you a date of when we say the beginning of Bamidbar, that it says that it took place, Bachoydish Hasheni, so I know. And when I see in Paris Balaischa, it says, So I know that it's out of order. But it doesn't tell me anything about when the Torah doesn't give you a date. In other words, I don't see how this is a proof. I could see that the, you could use it as a proof that the Torah is sometimes out of order. But how does it prove to me that when the Torah is not mentioning a specific date, then I'm having to divine what those dates are. How can that be a proof that that is a situation made mukta mukha? Again, when it comes to a situation like Tarach, Vayomas Tarach Becharan, clearly that's a situation where it didn't happen in chronological order, because again, Atari is giving you the dates. It gave it a date, 205. It gave it a date, 70, when Avram was born. So you know that that's out of order. So any situation when the Torah is giving you a specific date, in other words, if the Torah is giving you a time, let's say with the case of of if that means that you have 120 years with which to live, so then it means if Noach was born, uh, if Noach had children at 500 and the Mabel happened at 600, then obviously that had to have happened out of order. Okay. But is that the only situation when Ibn Ezra is going to talk about only when there's dates, as you will see, maybe we'll do another class at some point. That's not the only time that even as it says So therefore, I'm not so sure that the bar is specifically being set because of dates. I think the bar, as we will see, has other inputs as well, which some of which we discussed tonight, namely Nisim and taking that into consideration, um, as well as the possibility of the fact that it seemed that the 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 there are other times in the Torah where we could recapitulate certain events from different vantage points. I think those are other additional elements to the bar of when the Ibn Ezra uses and utilizes a Muktamukhabatara. Have a good job.